0: Hello, I'm Razel Schusterman, and you're listening to episode 25 of season 2 of A Positive Podcast, a podcast where we discuss ideas and concepts on our emotional well being and how we can educate ourselves to be a better version of ourselves. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, please reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com, or through Instagram at apositivecoach. Today's episode is sponsored in honor of the 36th yard site of my dear mother in law, Rachelaya Bas Shalamishaya Schusterman. May her Nishama have an Aliyah. And may she continue to be a good to better for all of us here. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out through my website at apositivecoach.com. In addition, if you would like to hear more about my positive coaching sessions or to set up a free consultation, you can reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com. In today's episode, I speak with my friend, Mrs. Tivi Greenberg, a shlucha in Vancouver, Washington, as we discuss an important topic the idea of toxic positivity and Gamzulateva. This too is for the good. This idea is a really important concept in Yiddishkeit and Judaism. And since we were young children, we've been taught this lesson and message that when we experience challenges, we kind of need to tap into our faith and belief by remembering that everything is from Hashem, even those things that don't appear to be good. And at the same time, we know about this concept called toxic positivity, and which is basically a belief that no matter how dire or difficult the situation is, we should remain and maintain a positive mindset. It's like a good vibes only approach to life. And for sure, there are benefits to being an optimist and engaging in positive thinking. But toxic positivity rejects difficult emotions and instead favors a cheerful, often falsely positive facade. And it's good to have a positive outlook in life, that's good for our mental well being. But the problem is that life isn't always positive. We all have painful emotions and experiences. And these emotions, while often unpleasant, are important and we need to feel them and deal with them openly and honestly. So toxic positivity takes positive thinking to an overgeneralized extreme. And this attitude, it doesn't stress the importance of optimism only. It minimizes and denies any trace of our human emotions that aren't strictly happy or positive. It's just not allowed to be, we're not allowed to be unhappy. So the question is, in a culture of Gamzula where we are taught that this too is for the good and everything's from Hashem. How do we avoid toxic positivity? It's so easy to simply say, this too is for the good. We're we're really, this is from Hashem. It's all fine. But are we really helping ourselves process our own lived experiences? Or are we just pushing away our feelings in an unhealthy manner? So what does Taira and Chassidus have to say about all these ideas? And what is the best way that we can step up and deal with our life experiences and challenges? This is the concept that we are trying to dig into. And hopefully we will shed some light on this topic. I think you're going to find this conversation with Tivi very insightful and helpful. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. So first of all, Tivi, I'm so glad that you agreed to come on today you know, to take this idea that we've been talking about between ourselves since our last podcast together and digging deeper into this idea and really, you know, kind of processing all of these thoughts, digesting them and making them our own. We know there's a concept in Judaism that talks about the idea of Gam This too is for the good. And it's referencing the concept, the idea that everything that happens to us is from Hashem which means it's ultimately good if it comes from Hashem. And even though it doesn't appear to be good. And today I want to dig deeper and discuss what this idea really means, because how does one truly take the saying and apply it for themselves in challenging times? So let's start at the beginning. My first question is, I'm not sure about you. I imagine for you as well, but I know for me that Gamzala Tova, this too is for the good, is just the saying alone is triggering. What I mean is that even hearing that hearing that expression, that saying, I feel triggered and a lot of emotions come up, specifically when I'm going through some challenging times, I think about why I should I should be thinking Gamzala Tova. That's where I should be going naturally. So I guess my first question is, why do you think that just hearing the saying Gamzala Tova, why do you think that is so triggering for me, for so many of us?
1: You know, I wonder, I wonder if when you say, when you say the saying, like just hearing the saying, it's almost like today we've, we've, um, well, once upon a time we're bumper stickers today we have memes for everything. And so I, I wonder if the hearing this, you know, when you see a meme that says God is good or think good thoughts and your feelings will follow. I'm wondering if it's the meme that's giving you a negative reaction and especially since it's a truth, you know, it's a real truth with everything we believe. It's everything, open any discourse on Hasidic teachings and it's going to attest to that truth. So why is it that we're being so triggered when we read it on an Instagram post? I think it's because for a person who's in pain, a bumper sticker and a meme isn't the medicine that you need. And because of the nature of how that pain is experienced, the meme isn't only, it's not only, not productive, it's actually counterproductive because it comes across as, as whitewashing the actual felt experience. It sounds completely dismissive of what your body's currently feeling. You know, I, I'm thinking maybe for a minute we should ask, I should ask your listeners to bring to mind a recent painful experience so that I'm not just talking in theory here. I want I want everyone listening to think back to an experience when something has gone opposite of what you were hoping for opposite of what you were working towards, opposite of what you were anticipating. And, and there's no criteria for what kind of painful experience. It could be totally subjective to your personal reaction of sadness, of hurt, of fear. okay? It could be something like, I don't know, you weren't invited out with a group of, friend, of friends, okay? or you a project you were just working on was rejected or something as dramatic as getting a difficult medical prognosis what was going on? I want you to think of an example and then try to remember what was going on inside your body as a response to what you just found out. You just heard that your friends are at a party you weren't invited to. You just got a rejection letter. You just got a phone call from the doctor's office. What was going on inside your body? Your whole body is feeling it. Your entire body is reacting to that natural emotional cue that was triggered by what you just heard. For somebody, it might be, you know, a nervous pit in your stomach. For somebody, it might feel like all your blood is draining and your body feels limp. For some, it's instant tension in your back or in your neck or a racing heart or a pounding head. You know, just like you have a physical sensation of pain when you touch something, hot, You have an internal reaction of sadness when your hopes fall short. When you hear a scary medical diagnosis, there's this internal felt reaction of fear. There's no thought process involved in an emotional reaction. It's an internal felt cue to a specific stimulus. And everything that your body is feeling is this phys- these physiological reactions to that emotional cue. It's your survival brain, simply flooding your body with all of the naturally evolved mechanisms that it has programmed into your mind-body system to help protect you. Now, I, I should say parenthetically that only later, does our thinking brain get involved? And that's when our feelings begin to develop. You know, when we attribute our thoughts and our beliefs to all those instinctive emotions, but let's, we'll talk a lot more about that later. Right now, what I want to emphasize is that if your whole body is having a physical reaction to those emotional cues, will a meme that says gamsula taiba, this too is for the good, does it help? Will a meme that says that, will it help the pounding headache go away? Does it help that complete feeling of overwhelm dissipate? Does it lift away that intense anxiety that your body is currently experiencing? It doesn't. And so it triggers you because all you hear in that meme is, I don't see your pain. I don't see how limp your whole body is feeling now. I don't see your heart racing and your head pounding. You and your experience are not being seen. And so not only isn't the meme not serving to motivate you, but rather it feels like it's being very dismissive of what you're experiencing to the point that you're feeling invalidated. So yeah, it makes sense that you're feeling triggered. Now, now here's the thing, I keep saying that meme or that bumper sticker, and I mean that not only literally, I mean it really figuratively, because Gamzula Taiva, like you said, it's this idea that everything Hashem does is good, and it's an integral and foundational part of our faith. You know, positivity, being positive, wearing these, these rose-colored spectacles that allow us to assess every situation and every interaction with positivity, it's all an integral part of the way we were raised to, to, to see. It's an integral ingredient of living. It's only toxic when it comes in the meme and the bumper sticker form, when we're shooting from the hip. It's when someone is trying to take a Band-Aid and impose an, an external fix. But for a person to whom God's goodness is not perfectly obvious right now, external fixes don't work. Hasidus mand and Hasidus demands for us to have an internalized process.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm totally relating to that. And it's helping to validate my feelings here because I know even hearing like these incredible people in Ukraine and how they're like just managing through this and you know, thinking positively and 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 just you know doing what they have to do, stepping up, stepping into those roles. I also kind of am triggered even by that a little bit. But so so walk me through this. If I'm in pain. If I'm experiencing a really challenging or even a small challenging event, you know, there's no hierarchy to pain, right? So how does Gamzalotoba work for me? How do I have an internalized process? Like how am I able to, where am I supposed to be able to access this belief in a way that it's going to actually bring relief to this pain and this anxiety that I'm feeling, that I'm currently feeling like you described, like in my belly, I feel it really
1: like at the core, in my core.
0: Uh, it's, it's like,
1: it's a, it's a feeling that it's a sensation you're having in your body. And so having this thought, a thought process to rush it away, isn't going to work. So I think what I want to do, I want to first delve a little deeper into what ganza taiva means. What is this Jewish belief? What does Hasidus teach us about it? And then once we have this fully developed thought process and our belief system is in place. Then I want to talk about how to access those thoughts when we're in a place, from a place where our entire body is hyper aroused by this emotional reaction. Um, so I'll, I'll go in that order, okay? And there's a great story um, I remember hearing. Actually, I think I read it in, in the book, Positivity Bias. Um, it's a good story. It's a, about a group of women from Nashikabad who were flying from a convention in Detroit. And in the Detroit airport, they're told that um, their flight's going to be delayed or maybe canceled because of a snowstorm. And they're distraught by this you know, this news. So they immediately call the Rebbe's office to let the Rebbe know about this turn of events. And the secretary answers the phone and they ask him to please relay to the Rebbe that they're stuck in the airport. The secretary comes back and he says, the Rebbe doesn't know what stuck means, All right. So imagine that they proceed then to explain, to define what stuck means. And the secretary interrupts him and he says, the Rebbe understands what stuck means but he believes that a Jew is never stuck. You're delayed in the airport because clearly that's exactly where God needs you to be right now. And there's something for you to be doing, something for you to be accomplishing there. Now, essentially with this mindset, the Rebbe was reframing for us. He was reframing for us every one of our detours, every one of our delays, all of our stuckness. He offered us this perspective shift on anything that we hadn't anticipated, anything in our life that we had been dealt that that wasn't in our original game plan. The Rebbe was reminding us that this is all part of what the Baal Shem Tov meant when he taught the world the definition of Hashgacha Now, I like this story because it takes all the complexity and all the profundity of Gamzula and it spells it out for us in very simple terms. Gamzula literally translates, as this too is for good. Now I called it profound and complex because essentially it's telling us that pain is good. Loss is a, ble- a blessing. Failure isn't you know, just for growing pains or the, you know, the awful means that's going to be justified by a better ending, but rather failure in itself, the loss in itself, all these seemingly negative experiences in this experience alone lies actual goodness. And that's a pretty complex belief to, to swallow. So let's explain it a little further, okay? We believe, a faithful Jew believes that God is a good God. And therefore, everything that comes from him is good. To believe otherwise is to deny the oneness of Hashem. It would be not denying the premise of Ashkacha that every swish of every blade of grass and every red light and every diagnosis is determined and overseen by God. And not just overseen, but it fits in directly with his ultimate vision of what he wants fulfilled in our universe, what he needs you to accomplish and what he needs you to experience in your lifetime. Now, we as humans, We have certain hopes and we have certain expectations that match our human sensibilities. So we don't always recognize everything as goodness, right? Pain is pain, pleasure is pleasure, and it's easy to recognize pleasure as something good, but hardly do we see pain as something good. But then then you have, you know, let's take a very simple example of the pain of an exercise routine. It's painful, but with our more developed senses, we know that there's pleasure at the end of that routine. With our more developed senses, We know that there's goodness that comes sometimes from a painful effort, a sometimes painful effort. And we humans, we have this gift of hindsight, which allows us to update relevant information so that next time we are in a similarly painful situation, it feels a lot less difficult because we're already familiar with the pleasurable results that we're headed towards. So that's just on a simple level, on a way to understand how what initially doesn't look good or feel good, it can indeed end up being good. We could wrap our mind around that, right? But let's take it a little further, okay? What about what we humans call tragedy, tragic circumstances, the Taiva, really that too is good? You know, when we see blessings and goodness in our life, we naturally return to God, we thank him. Because as people of faith, we recognize God is the source of our blessings. But in the Tanya, the Altarabi explains how even when someone is experiencing hardships, that too is a blessing from God. Even when a person is experiencing what in his mind's eye looks like a tragedy, not only is it a blessing, but according to Chassidus, it comes from an even higher source, from a a closer place to God. And therefore, in making its way from way up near God all the way down into this world right here, you know, in this phenomenological universe where we are experiencing life. That goodness had to go through so many filters. You know, in Hasidus, it's called simtsumim, so many contractions to the point that its goodness isn't, it doesn't match our sensibilities. We can't relate to it as goodness. The best example I heard about this um, that could hopefully make this idea more relatable is, you know, take a five-year-old kid who's having a birthday party. Now imagine for a moment all the exciting gifts that he's hoping for. In his mind, the very best gift comes in really large boxes, with very colorful wrapping. And when he, you know, excitedly is going to rip through the back packaging, he's going to find something big and shiny and noisy with a lot of buttons and flashing lights. That is the best kind of gift that a five year old's mind could come could hope for. Now, the five year old's grandfather's in town, and he's coming for a birth for the birthday too. And of course, he's going to also bring a gift. And he brings what he knows is the very best gift he could offer his grandchild. It's a small. It's unmarked. You know, it's not even colorful. It's a simple white envelope. And in it is a certificate for the $20 million trust fund that he opened up in this child's name. Okay. The child's going to be able to access it when he turns 18 years old. But that doesn't mean a thing to the five-year-old. Okay. As a matter of fact, it's totally disappointing to him. So when the grandfather hands this plain boring white envelope to him, he's either going to react like a child... You know, the way a child does, and he's actually going to express that this is the dumbest gift I ever got. Or, you know, maybe if his parents trained him to be more polite, he's going to simply, you know, thrust it down on the table. He's going to feel dejected. He's going to feel dejected that clearly his grandfather doesn't love him enough to, you know, make the effort. And he'll go right back to playing with the loud and the noisy fire truck that his way more relatable, way more compassionate friends had bought him. Now, I'm assuming that the analogy is obvious enough. But we, I'll elaborate, we are that kid. We know what we like. We know what matches our idea of goodness. And frankly, that's what we ask for God. We see, like the Rebbe always used to say, we want goodness in an, that's obvious to our senses. But sometimes God gives it to us in the way that a generous grandfather did. In a simple white envelope, it's $20 million. It's $20 million. It's coming from a place so close to God. From the higher source, the highest source of goodness, but to us it feels painful and it feels sad and it feels difficult and it feels hard. But our faith in everything that we've been taught reminds us that it really is a twenty million dollar trust fund. It's a blessing, and oh my goodness, what we'll be able to do with that when we grow up! I mean, you know, and that 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 idea that that growing up alone fits in right here. Amazing things will no doubt come from the pain, but it takes a lot of growing to get to that. To to get to a place where it becomes clear and obvious.
0: I hear that and that resonates with me. And at the same time, I feel like I want an allegory or a muscle that's, I mean, we're talking about real pain. I mean, for that five-year-old this disappointment, that's a disappointment he's experiencing or she's experiencing. And I know five-year-olds can have real disappointments and it's really real to them. And at the same time, it's like, you talk about children getting cancer and people dying and, and millions being killed and, I just have a really hard time. What is good? What is good about that? I know, but I can't. I'm not wearing the I don't see the whole picture. So is it just as simple as you're saying having holding that faith for myself, going to that space and remembering that? is that is that enough?
1: I'll tell you what, you know it's interesting. It's something that I not, not something I planned on sharing, so um, hopefully I'll be articulate enough about it. A few years ago, a friend of mine, um, had cancer and it was as it was progressing. It was getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, if you saw the signposts, you knew it was time to face reality. Well, there wasn't going to be a good ending. Um, but you know, I was her 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 main cheerleader. I was you know the rabbi's wife. Um, actually, she was her own main cheerleader. She was an extremely positive out at an extremely positive mindset. And so, sadly, though. There, there was this constant think good and it will be good and maintain positive, et cetera. Sadly though, there isn't a good ending to the story. She passes away. And I went into a kind of a, a, a place of shock almost because I, I was like, if she couldn't make it, who could make like, where does this thinking good, how's it going to end good for anyone? And I remember just days after, days after this, while I was still you know, really in that, that mourning process, um, I get a text from another friend who was, you know, this was a business text. She was saying, you know, she says to me, she says, pray for us. We're having a big meeting with Costco today. They, they have a product that they were hoping would get into Costco. And my instinctive reaction was, mm, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. My prayers, really? And I showed my husband the text and I expressed my dejection. I expressed my, my space where I was just like, Really, I should pray for you to you get into Costco. If God wants you to get into Costco, you're going to get into Costco. If God doesn't want you to get in, you're not going to get into Costco. And that's where I had a conversation with my husband, which was, this is the moment where we have to tap into that space of faith. Where Gamzula Taiba, when we're able to internalize that, it's a reminder that even when a situation does not conclude with our desired outcome, we're able to feel perfectly confident confident that. This is good because it's the outcome that God had orchestrated. So it's very important that we take time and space in a place of calm when we're not dealing with a cancer diagnosis to learn chasidus. You know, I first heard the term toxic positivity from Susan David. Okay. She has a book on, on yeah, emotional Yeah, And I, I, I heard her talk about it and it really resonated. It feels toxic. The bottom line is it feels toxic to shoot positive mantras from our hip. And all the psychology podcasts offer great tools on how to process our emotions and so on, which we'll talk a little bit about more um, soon. But here's what's something the podcasts don't offer. They don't offer this huge resource of a faith and trust in a God that has a plan. Now, I don't want to undermine those motivational speakers. There are many who talk a lot about, you know, letting go and letting God. There are amazing messages and there's teachings out there, but I want to remind your audience about the wealth of resources that we have in Yiddishkeit to help us arrive at a place. Again, like I just said, that when a situation doesn't conclude with our desired outcome, we're still able to feel that this is good because it comes from the God who only gives us good
0: things. I want to interject and say that I can personally tell you, as you were speaking, I could feel it in my body because I've I've, I've experienced that that in the depths of a really dark, difficult place in my life, I didn't feel fear. And I had every reason to fear. I didn't feel um, deep, deep, deep worry that I couldn't breathe. I, I would say to myself, if I were to go back to that situation, I would think I wouldn't know how to breathe. I wouldn't know how to deal with it. And yet at that moment, I felt calm. I felt in, Hashem was holding me. And it was only because it was nothing that I had learned None of the tools that I had learned in positive psychology, those are great and excellent. It was this knowledge that I am a piece of Hashem, Hashem, I'm a child of Hashem. This is a child of Hashem. Hashem is holding me. This is going to be good somehow. And if and I I don't know how, but Hashem's holding me. And that experience that you just described, it was all faith. There was no knowledge. I had no reason to believe that it would be good in the end. And yet Hashem held me and guided me through it. And I felt his guidance.
1: So it's important, it's important for people to cultivate that relationship with Hashem in their, every day, every day, whether it's learning chasidahs, learning talking, whatever it is, we need to cultivate that we have to be able to have this, like what I just said, this whole belief system needs to be in place so that it could be accessed in a time of distress. And And even more, I think, I think it's like, okay, now is the moment. Like we've
0: learned Hasidus and we've gone to, even for those of us that have been in the, in the system and have learned and studied like, and then comes a the moment where you're called upon to stand up and to really dig into it. And like you're saying, there's a process here and I'm not, I'm, I'm listening and I'm realizing that like that is my experience what happened. And yet I didn't, even, I don't even, I mean, I do realize it but like it's, that awareness is very powerful. So the, now that we have a more profound understanding of what Gamzul of means, how do I actually get there? We talked earlier about how you know my body is a ball of nerves. I'm feeling emotionally drained by what I'm dealing with. So I have this. How do I internalize this faith? How do I help it become a part of me that allows me to actually feel calm and that I really feel that this is this is going to be good? Like your cousin, I Rifqi Darren, I think you said if it's not good, it's it's not the end, or I forget the line, I'm not doing justice to it. Everything will be good in the end. And so if it's not good, it's not the end. The end, right. So, so how can I go about my day with this sense of trust and calm and hope? How do I
1: have this sense? So here, here's actually where I believe there might be another, another trap of positivity turning toxic. When we try to do what's called a thinking brain override. okay, When we know and believe all of these thoughts in our thinking brain, but our body is very busy reacting to our survival brain's internal emotional cues of fear or of sadness, just to name a few. And if my body is reacting to those emotions, it's now in a state of hyperarousal, like we described earlier. And I want to try and override those with my thinking brain, right? without allowing myself to process what my emotions are trying to tell me. What I do is I just jump straight into, you know, whitewashing those feelings, like, it's fine, you're a big girl, it's not a big deal or don't be sad, other people have it worse. Or at least I have a roof over my head, or everyone's struggling. I mean, we're not we're not unique. We're not the only ones having a hard time. You know, there's even what we would call spiritual bypassing where it's like, Hashem's protecting us. Quit the anxiety. Or worse, you know, I've heard everyone's watching. Put on your big boy pants. They know that you're a believer. You have to show them what faith looks like. we've 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 all tried that. It's called thinking brain override, and it doesn't work. Now, you might trick yourself into thinking it does. But your loved ones, your children, your spouse, your coworkers, all the people in your orbit, they're going to get the short end of it. And so is your body. It's going to experience the side effects of not returning to a healthy state of calm after being aroused. Now, Reza, I know we had, we had this conversation, we started this conversation on the other podcast about, you know, what is my shahat al And I think here we'll, we'll be able to arrive at that because what our goal is going to be here is allowing ourselves to first gather data from what our emotional cue is trying to tell us. What's going on? Why is my head pounding? Why am I breaking into a sweat? Why is my heart racing? Why is my body feeling limp? Why am I having a hard time getting out of bed these past few mornings? You know, some people have a much easier time identifying what emotion they're dealing with and others need to really take note of the physiological reactions that their body's having in order to realize that they are actually in the midst of dealing with a very intense emotion fear and sadness are very real emotions. They're here to protect us. Don't shut them out. Don't deny them their voice by using thinking brain override. You know, you're going to have a very, you're, you're going to have to find a way to calm your nervous system, bring your heart rate back to normal, release the tension. You know, Rizal, maybe that could be a, a topic for another podcast. Find a somatic practitioner who could come and teach teach your audience some go-to rules like, you know, taking a deep breath or doing contact point exercise or tapping or going for a run or putting on music, whatever it is to help your body return to a state of calm so that you can access your thinking brain, so that you can access all the thoughts and all the beliefs that you know to be true, so that you can access everything you know about Gamzula Ta'iva. Mayer al this is this very well-known phrase from Tanya that tells us your mind needs to rule your heart It means that your nervous system is regulated, your body is calm, you have full access to your thinking brain and all of its executive functioning skills. Once your body is in a state of calm, then you can access your highest brain state. That's the only place where safety and connection and problem solving can actually take place. That's a place where all your beliefs and all your values reside. And so here's here's the important next step. you're You're hyper aroused you figure out a way that even if it's just temporary to calm yourself so you can access all your thoughts. And now we have to realize that emotions, like I mentioned before, emotions are these natural instinctive cues. Our feelings though, we use, a lot of people use feelings and emotions interchangeably. They are, they are separate. Emotions are natural cues. Feelings are much more complex. Feelings are formed based on the thoughts and beliefs that we attribute to our emotions. So this is where we have the space, okay? We have the space here now between the stimulus, that whatever it is that's setting off the emotional cue and of how we are going to respond to that emotional cue. So I'm, I'm probably saying a lot of words here. I'm, I'm gonna use an example, okay? Let's say you're dealing with the emotion of fear. We could go in two opposite directions. Option number one is we allow that emotion of fear to turn into feelings of afraid and worried and nervous and uncertain and doubtful and what I mean by allow I mean we're allowing old thinking patterns and past negative experiences essentially we're allowing old wiring to lend thoughts to our emotion of fear but then we put a lot of energy into denying those feelings because we know that it runs against everything we believe I'm a faithful Jew right why am I afraid why am I nervous why am I doubtful and I don't give myself any time or space any room at all to acknowledge or to process those feelings. I might even be ashamed of them. So I don't even give them ear space. Instead, I I shut them out and I tell myself and I tell others, it's good, it's good. Things are going to be good. But meanwhile, my body is hyper aroused to all those difficult feelings. So I'm losing sleep and I'm overeating or or I'm under eating, whichever way works for you. You're feeling drained. I'm sweating. I'm, I'm, I'm sweating the small stuff. I'm lashing out at the people I love. In other words, I am in survival mode, but externally, I'm smiling or I'm attempting to assure everyone that it's going to be good. Now, alternatively, alternatively, this is the healthy way to do it. I sense that internal cue of fear. I recognize it for what it is. It's a natural cue that my survival brain is coming to sending me to protect. We see it all over the Tyra. How Yaakov was afraid, and Yoseph was afraid, and 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 Esther was worried. We get so it's a natural, it's just a natural reaction. I gather all the data it's providing me, and then I have a conversation with my thoughts and my belief system to help me arrive at a place where I can acknowledge and give space to that emotion of fear, to my body's natural subconscious cue, and at the same time feel assured that God is in control and whatever happens is for the good. And that way, my response to fear is going to give birth to feelings of deeper trust, to stronger confidence in the outcome. Then all those positive mantras that we share with others are gonna come from an internally regulated place and from a real sense of everything that happens is for the good. Now, I I wanna stress, I wanna stress, like I said before, it's important To build those wires of trust and faith in times of calm, so that when we are dealing with a real strong emotion, once we calm our body down, we're able to access those thoughts. We need the thoughts there. We need a belief system in order to give birth to healthy feelings. If our belief system is everything's random, the world sucks, I have bad luck. Oh no, it's going to be another bad day. Then that's the thoughts that are going to be attributed to your emotions. And those are the feelings of anxiety and, and, and doubtfulness and uncertainty are going to come about. So we need to build those, that, that core belief trust.
0: I think that's a true point for everything. You know, we go to therapy, not only when we're doing not good, you need to go to therapy. If you're dealing with stuff, you need to deal with it. Even when you're okay and fine so that you can dig deep and do the work and then when you have those moments of challenge, you have more reserves to lean into and to work on and it helps you during those difficult times. You don't only, you're not supposed to only go when it's difficult. And it's the same idea I find with, um, you know, exercise or, or gym. Like you don't just go when you want to, oh, I just want to go when I'm trying to get into a dress for the wedding, right? We have to do it for our for our health, emotional being, for our, all the time so that it's like kind not all the time, but when we can, so that we have like this level of constant, um, so, you, so so, what I'm hearing you say is that if we're tapping in to our connection and times of where we're good, it'll help us for those times that are difficult. My question is, is you mentioned something about mayaqshalatalev um, and I have a question on that. It doesn't mean that when we are dealing with something and something is told to us, let's say our children, for example, we wanna show a certain, we wanna present ourselves a certain way around our children and something happens with one of our children and it brings up very difficult emotions in us. And so I wanna stay regulated. So, you know, on the outside, I may look calm and peaceful, but inside there may be a war raging. That's not considered my That's a,
1: a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. There's a time and a place for everything. Sometimes we have to literally shut down. You know, the the Tanya talks about it in in regards to guilt and shame, or or maybe it's just guilt. The Tanya talks about it and it says if feelings of guilt are going to pop up while you're dominating or while you're at work, it's misplaced. Set it aside right now, just push it out of your mind. Set aside a specific time when you could focus on it. So when you're having this internal battle inside of you and your kid just walked in the door, it's not the time and place to you know reckon with your belief system, et cetera. Right now you just have to put on, put on, present yourself as, as calm. And later on deal with that emotion, process it, understand, gather data from it. At the same time, I will say that sometimes. Even when you're trying that to put that show on, you're putting this blockage between, you know, your mind is right now, you're, you're pushing it out with both of your hands and you're staying calm, but it's it's showing up somehow. It's, you're, you're being agitated, you're speaking, you think you're speaking with love. Like my kids say, it was like, no, my, you weren't yelling, but you were using a certain tone of voice. In other words, they hear, they hear exactly what's going on. I'm, I'm not yelling at them, but they see my face. They, they see my expression. And so they feel yelled at. And so it's okay to sometimes say to your kid, you know, I'm feeling really upset right now about what just happened. I need to take a moment to calm myself down before we have this conversation.
0: Because you're modeling for them that, that exact behavior, instead of telling them, Oh, when you're stressed, take time to here You are actually modeling the behavior for them by saying, I need to take some time and I'm going to go to the other room and I'm going to breathe a little bit. I'm going to come back when I'm ready. And let's, let's try again. And I think yeah. that alone is, is, is a powerful teaching moment right there by modeling that behavior. Yes, our
1: our kids learn how to regulate themselves by mirroring the way adults regulate themselves, so... You know it's I, I actually it's interesting you bring this up because there is an idea you know uh a chasid a chasid sviva. i don't know something in the hayyam, i won't say it in yiddish because i'm messing it up but a chasid we are responsible for the sviva that we create the atmosphere the vibe and i think that's especially true as mothers you know our um at our perspective the way we present ourselves the way we react to situation is that the whole family is going to pick up on that and so we do carry this responsibility of like situation looks dire if i'm not being positive about it who is going to be and so we 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 allow ourselves then to possibly slip into that place of putting on throwing out those positive mantras but it's a reminder again that yes you are you really are responsible for the vibe in the family so do it in a way that you're processing that you're internalizing so that when you speak positive your whole family actually picks up on an authentic Message of positivity, not just on a "oh my god, my mother's a nervous wreck," but yeah, we're thanking God for our blessings. Really, you have to internalize that gratitude. You have to internalize that toxic You have to internalize it so that the words coming out of your mouth are as authentic as they as they should be. So, fake it till you make it is um is that toxic positivity,
0: or is that first fake processing? it you make it
1: is a is a is a quick fix when that moment you don't have time right now. We're but then it it's definitely needs to be internalized.
0: So so it could be it can start off. Like for example, you could put music on in your house and you're feeling and you're gonna dance it out with your kids. You you're processing it somehow mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. own way. There's there's you might start off faking, but there you're putting yourself into it, you're processing it somehow. And processing for each person can look different. It's not gonna be the same, it's gonna have that component component of of regulating yourself and breathing and getting to a space that you can actually say this is good, but it, it, you have to first regulate. Okay. So I think, so what is the role that I should play as a friend or as a sister or as a parent when someone is confiding in me about their str- what they're struggling with, right? On one hand, I want to make sure that I'm allowing them to feel their feelings, but that I'm also in the position I want to also at the same time, I can be that person in that position to help them move them along to a more positive space. And so how do those two kind of, you know, go together? Where do we remind them of Gamzula Taiva without coming off as sounding toxic and toxic
1: positivity? So, I mean, it's true. We all we all want to be that person who could quickly come and brush, you know, a silver lining on everyone's problems, especially on the problems of the people that we love. You know, it's this natural instinct. We see someone in pain, they're sitting in a dark room, and we can't just turn the light on because we don't have the power over the situation. We cannot make their problems go away. And I guess, you know, if you mentioned with kids, sometimes as parents, sometimes we may even have the power to make their problems disappear, but I think it's even important with kids. To resist that urge to like just quickly turn the light on. You know, let them sit in the dark for a minute, teach them that it's okay. Turning the light on is, is immediately teaches them that it's not okay to sit with difficult emotions and, and, you know, run away from it as fast as we can. So even with the kid, it's okay to just sit with them and help them process what they're feeling and then say, you know what, maybe I have a solution. Hear me out. But back to, you know, back to the friend or the sister or, um, you know, to, to the self here's, I think that at the very least, we have to remind them, you know, we think, okay, we think that at the very least, we need to remind them of the silver linings in their challenge, right? You know, let's say, I don't know, your your boss is verbally abusive. That's what they're complaining about. So at least, you know, at least you have a paying job. Uh, You know, at least this is making you turn into a stronger person, right? This is where our mind goes immediately. That's what we instinctively want to do. But now we know that it's just coming across as toxic to them. It's not helping. So, do we just let them sit in that kvetch? Like, you know, I'm their best friend. Is my job to just let them sit and fetch? And so, what I this was a thought that, that arrived that, you know, I arrived at. It was, we don't, on one hand, we don't want to be the friend who comes in and paints a silver lining on their dark crowd. Okay. We want to, on their dark cloud, sorry. We want to acknowledge their dark cloud. It's gray. It's heavy. It's painful. It's taking up so much space in their life. But our job is to remind them that they are not the cloud. They're the big blue sky. And right now they're holding the cloud, but they're just holding it. They're holding that difficult emotion. It's so big and it's so gray to the point that it's it's literally blocking their view of everything else, but they're not the cloud. They're not the emotion. Clouds always move on. You don't stay in that space forever. The cloud's soon gonna feel lighter and it's gonna take up less space. And you know, while we're on the cloud analogy, I'll add that, Clouds bring rain, and rain in Yiddishkeit is a simen bracha, right? So, you know, by the way, don't only do this for a friend. Don't only do this for your sister. This is something we have to do for ourselves as well. We cannot whitewash our own emotions. Don't ever tell yourself, oh, at least you have a roof over your head. It's not, don't be sad. The other person's situation is sadder. You have to talk to yourself the way you would talk to a friend. And, and you know, the truth is that while we're on this topic, it's, it's connected, but, you know, it, 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 It's a a separate but connected topic that if you don't allow yourself to acknowledge and process your own feelings, it's going to be much harder to show empathy and compassion to others who are experiencing difficult emotions. If you are hardwired to react by shutting down, if your hardwired reaction to a difficult emotion is going to be to shut it down, to deny it space from being processed, if your hardwired reaction is going to be to quickly turn the light on and turn away from that less comfortable emotion that's what you're going to be naturally inclined to do to everyone else's emotions. So I think that it's, it's so not- true.
0: That is so true. I think that it, for me personally, that is the reason why I struggle so much with my children sharing their challenges. It's like, just push it away. Don't go there. Don't go there. You don't have to go there. And it's like, cause it's hard for me. It's hard for me to feel my difficult emotions.
1: I'd rather just avoid it. And if you trained your whole life to put your big girl pants on, skirt if you trained your whole life to just you know suck it up it's going to be fine Uh, you know if you you're crying I'll give you something to cry about if that was the way you're you were you know trained to channel your emotions or to block your emotions then you know it's like you see somebody else in their self-centered space and it's like get over it I worked my whole life to put my pain away and you're going to be fetching about I don't know you're homesick but I lost the I lost my mother when I was a kid, God forbid. and and I grew grew I grew up so quickly from that, and everybody said, "Wow, what a big girl, look how amazing she's doing. And now I'm supposed to have sympathy for your homesickness. It's it's literally impossible. It be, we become so by blocking our own emotions, we desensitize ourselves from Was it as
0: simple help. as the fact that because I'm able to allow myself and like we said, it's I just want to go back for a second. So if I'm processing and allowing myself to feel sadness and process it, how long is that period? Like, what, like, get, let's go into that a little bit more. Like, what does that really look like? How much is too much? Um, where does that begin and end? Like,
1: give you me know, it's more. A, it's an excellent question. And I I can't, I'm, I'm not a, um, i am not a professional enough to, to um, be able to answer that question. I do remember reading though, how a person who has learned how to process their emotions could take as quick as 90 seconds. It's not a four-day; it doesn't have to be a four-day experience. But that's somebody who really knows how to access, you know, feel the sensations in their body, knows how to release them, knows how to acknowledge. It's not, you know, it's not a quick fix for everybody. For some people, it, again, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a recipe, and I don't think there's either. You don't either have to put requirements on it. Sitting with an emotion though doesn't mean um, not doing the correct action. In other words, sometimes you're feeling a certain something, but you still follow your values. Your emotions don't, don't do guide what you have you. to do. Your emotions aren't here to guide you. They're here to provide data. Your values guide you. Your belief guide you. Your thought guide you. When you're angry at God, you can feel angry at God, but you still have to do all the things that you're obligated to do in your relationship with him. When you're mad at your spouse, you're having a very strong emotional reaction to something they did. It doesn't mean that you know now I'm gonna I'm, 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 you know, lock the door and not let him in the house anymore, There's, or your child. Like there are certain things that we still, we need to be guided by our values, but our emotions are here to provide data for us. I think that's, that is right
0: there, what you just described is the biggest struggle, is that when we're feeling that emotion and we know that we need to continue doing what we have to do, it's not just about putting one foot in front of the other and doing it, it's about acknowledging the feeling Saying hello to it, inviting it to sit down next to us on the chair, looking at it. It's not a. It's a feeling. It's an emotion, and it comes. And the way I describe it is like waves, um, because it comes and it goes. And like I almost imagine myself on like a surfboard, like I'm surfing the waves. Like I'm wrapping my body around that surfboard, and I'm I'm riding the wave. And sometimes it's a fun ride, and sometimes it's a really not fun ride.
1: Um, I think that it's it's key to know that you are not the emotion, you're just holding it. And, and they come and they go, they're they're dynamic, they're fluid. They don't stay forever. I, I mean, like even this this is, you know, again, maybe I'm going a little off topic here, but I was just teaching a course on, um, you know, the journey of the soul. It's like, it's about death and all that. And it's interesting to note that in, in um, when somebody passes away, those first few hours from when you hear that tragic news until the body is buried, you're not. You have zero obligations in the Yiddishkeit. In other words, the Torah recognizes there are such emotions that are so intense at that point that it doesn't even ask you to say a bracha. There's you do not need to act. You can literally just sit in that emotion in the fullest sense. But then you have to move on. Then you have to put your foot forward, and you have shiva. You have those seven days of processing, which again, there's so many. We are not engaging in the real world, and then you're asked to move on from there to those 30 days of shleishim, where you have a lot more engagement in the real world, but there's still parts of mourning. In other words, those emotions are real. They need to be acknowledged. They need to be processed. Um, you could do a whole nother podcast about, um, you know, the negative side effects, not only on, um, you know, psychologically, but physiologically on the, our, our body of what repressed emotions um, can, do to us. can do to us. So
0: yeah, well, so many great ideas for podcasts here, heresivi. I appreciate I know, it wow, just... <laughs> but so, so there's so I just want to like summarize, okay? Like I want to take this and and really just internalize this a little bit. So if I asked you Tsivi, okay, in short, what is Gamzula Taiva? How is Gamzula Teva not toxic positivity? When
1: it's in a, Gamzula Taiva means that everything that God does is for the good. And I'm going to encourage everybody listening is to to dedicate and invest time to internalizing those thoughts through learning. That's, I mean, that to me, that's the only way you have to really learn to this and build a relationship, a loving relationship with God. Because when you know that somebody loves you, a child who feels, who has a moment of, um, of doubt, if he knows a parent loves them, he can immediately move back into that place of confidence that obviously, and my, my mother packed this for me, obviously she shouldn't mean to pack me a spoiled lunch. Or, or even within a relationship with a husband and wife, when there's love, even when there's a moment of, of uh, a rupture, you can always come back to that. And probably then there's a higher level Though you need a logical um, understanding of the way God runs the universe. There's a plan. Move back into that space of there's a plan here. Obviously this didn't happen randomly. There's no, nothing happens by arbitrary happenstance. Knowing that everything that happens for a reason, sorry, I'm not summing it up. I'm, I'm going on onto a whole different topic. Great. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, my point is you need to internalize this so that in a moment of distress, you can tap. Emotions are going to come. You need to have a developed thought process and a developed belief system that you can tap into so that you can turn those emotions into healthy feelings of deeper trust and not into feelings of anxiety and uncertainty and doubtfulness.
0: And when you say learning specifically, um, You know, I think for everybody, I'm I'm going to take it a step further. It's, It's connection. So it's just like with a parent and a child, we want to stay connected to our child. And connection doesn't mean just buying gifts and doing things for them. It's about being with them and spending time with them and focusing on them and giving them our time and our love and our attention and our care. Sometimes it's gifts, sometimes it's stuff, but, you know, sometimes it's not. So for some, it may be davening, like just simply connecting, taking the time to talk to Hashem and learning and understanding, specifically Hasidus, like you said. So Tanya, um, what else would you recommend if somebody was looking- I'll interrupt you
1: about the davening. I would say even, you know, with davening is focus on the meaning of the words. When you look at the meaning of the words, it will develop a greater sense of trust. But even davening alone, just looking at the meaning and understanding what we're saying. Yeah, Pick a paragraph that you're gonna actually focus on and recognize, like internalize what the words are that you're saying. Because the goal is to set down those new wires like when, when you have anxiety, the opposite of anxiety is trust in God. Like you need to build new wires of trust so that you can, that can become your default reaction. In I also time. think the opposite,
0: so, I think also the opposite of anxiety is not opposite, but one of the helpful tools for dealing with anxiety is gratitude. Because like we said, um, if you're focusing on what you have, then it's hard to f- to feel what you don't have. But then that can also come into a little bit of toxic positivity again. So you want to be able to really also <laughs> it's a dance. It's definitely, it's a real, dance. <laughs> Exactly. My hands are moving. If you could see like it's, it's really a dance. It's not just black and white. It's really not. It's so many different shades and so many that you could take it so many directions. So if somebody was looking to build up their gamzula tova, or their, I want to say, their faith muscle, their bitachan muscle, their connection muscle, what would you recommend
1: specifically I, to learn? For me, I've been learning Tanya in a way that I'm, that I'm actually able to understand and relate to it. There's so many sikhas about where the Rebbe talks about this. I know I hear a lot of buzz about char bitachan. I know that's a big thing out there nowadays. Um, and that is something that the Rebbe had suggested and recommended to people who were struggling with their faith. So I'm sure that's a good recommendation as well. So here's another additional point that I was thinking about. You know, I recently heard someone describe how our unresolved negative emotions are stored inside of us as energy. And that energy needs to feed off of other negative energy. I'll give you a simple example. Okay, you know those people who Are always causing drama and conflicts you know they arrive at an event or I don't know we'll use the uh, stereotypical family Thanksgiving dinner okay they come and they cause conflicts and they cause issues why they aren't bad people they simply have so much unresolved negativity inside their hearts and that energy wants to feed off of the negative stuff so they push everyone's buttons until they get the negative drama that they're hoping for and then all their stored negative emotions now have a feeding ground now in case it isn't obvious it, this is obviously totally a subconscious process no one who does this is consciously aware of why they're stirring the pot and being all dramatic but here's how i see this apply to our topic here when we hear bad or tragic news what might be happening is that our stored and unresolved negative emotions are immediately attracted to the painful parts of that story it's almost like that energy grabs on to the story as confirmation bias that you know it is indeed a dark world and I bad things do happen to good people and I nebach, good people are suffering once again in a sense it's it's like the science behind misery loves company my unresolved misery my pain that was never fully processed my hurt my rejection my sadness it's now so relieved to finally have company, it jumps towards the eye of this tragic news that I just heard. Now, it's helpful to have this awareness that my dramatic and overwhelming response about this new painful event, it might very well be a reaction to old wounds that haven't yet been healed. So in order to get to a place where we can indeed respond with an internalized and an integrated Gamzula Taiva reaction, you know where we aren't just doing what i like to call spiritual overriding you know using a catchphrase to to push away internal pain in order to arrive at that integrated gamsula taiva we really have to heal and process those past negative experiences and the past that, that stored pain because then when we're faced with sad or disappointing news our healed and wholesome self which is literally a <laughs> it's an actual part of god That part of us is going to be drawn towards the Gamzula Taiba aspect of the story. That part of us will instinctively be able to sense God's hand in in this turn of events. Yep. Okay. This has been really
0: insightful and interesting. I just want to thank you again for your time. It was a joy hanging out with you, Razel. So I think that at this point, we all have a deeper understanding of what Gamzilatova means. This too is for the good. And that it all begins with regulating ourselves, feeling our feelings, processing our feelings, and digging deeper into our faith and exercising our faith, our faith muscle so that we can tap into that energy in times of challenge. You know, one of the things that I'm really taking away from today's podcast is this idea that... When we don't allow ourselves to process and acknowledge our own feelings, it's almost impossible to then make space and show empathy and be able to show up for our loved ones in a real way. So as we are now in this month of Nissan, the month of redemption, I think that this idea is one of the true meanings of being a free person, that we're truly free to process our emotions and feelings and realize that these feelings and emotions are just signposts their messages telling us what we need to know, giving us data. And then we need to gather this information, process it, and then we just need to get up and do the hard work and show up and be the people we need to be. But it's not always easy. So my blessing for each and every one of us is that we may we all be able to tap into this idea, build up our t- betachan our faith muscle, do that what we need to do. And remember, like any muscle, That we're trying to build up, practice, practice, practice. Practice makes better. We keep on doing this activity, and every time we do that, we rewire our brain to actually start to go there naturally. So thank you for listening today, and I wish each and every one of us a kosher and freilich and Pesach, a kosher and happy Pesach, and may we truly experience each of us in our own way, our own personal redemption from whatever is holding us back. Thank you for listening.